There's a lot going on in our society and honestly around the world right now. Emotions are running high. Families are literally dividing over political views. Fear, uncertainty of the future, especially since COVID-19 has come on the scene. One of the most alarming things that I see today, and it hasn't happened overnight, is evil is seen as good and good is seen as evil. How do we make sense out of all that's happening right now? The only way we make sense out of what's happened is the only way we can ever make sense out of what's happening. And that's looking through a biblical perspective. And I think it's so critical right now that the body uses the word of God as a filter to how they interpret of what's going on in this world. Because if you don't, you're really going to get caught up in it. And it's going to take you on a tailspin. And honestly, I've been in some of them tailspins. And I've had to get back to the basics of remembering that God has all the answers. And his answers are in the word of God. And through when I get back into his word of God and start looking around, I see what's going on. It makes more sense. If there was ever a time for the church to become more relevant in a society, that time is now. The church needs to become more relevant or it will become more irrelevant. It will either, I really believe we're at a critical time right now with what's going on, and not only in this nation, but in the world. And if the church doesn't become more active, more of a voice, more of a example, then we're, we're going to become less and less of one. And the one that's, that will suffer from that, besides the body of Christ, is society itself. If the church doesn't become the word of God, become the anchor to what's happening right now, um, then it's only going to continue to go in the direction that it's going. How do we become more relevant is the question I guess this morning we need to ask. I wrote down three things, three questions, and I kind of answer them as I go, but then we're going to look at them more in depth. How do we become more relevant? By knowing our mission. By knowing our mission and staying focused on our mission. For us to truly know our mission, we have to understand what we have to bring to the table. We have to know in ourselves as believers, what do we have to give? What do we have to bring to a society, to a people, to a neighbor, to a family member, to a co-worker? What do we have? Do we have something that they have to have? And are we portraying it to them? What do we have to bring to the table? And for us to understand what we have to bring we have to realize the state of mankind. We have to clearly understand the state that mankind is in. So let's take a few minutes and just look at the state 
of mankind through a biblical lens. Not through a political lens, not through any lens, but a biblical lens. Because that's the one that counts. That's the one that we have to focus on. Romans 3.23. Whoever's got that one, can you read it, please? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't say some. It doesn't say a certain, a, a certain group of people. It says all have sinned. We are all in the same boat. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 through 3. So, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Isaiah, we just heard that the iniquities, the sin, separates us from God. It causes a separation from God. So, right now, all have sinned, all mankind has the same dilemma. And they are separated from God. And we're going to go into what this separation means. And the reason we're going, this is, says, wow, this sounds very basic, and it is, but I want us to get an understanding of what we're dealing with. Because if we don't have a clear understanding of what we're dealing with, what we're seeing in humanity today, we're not going to respond in the right way. We're not going to know what we have. We're going we're, we're to be going, getting sidetracked, and we're not going to be completing our mission as the body of Christ. Right now, mankind is separated from God. Now, what are the results of this separation? What happens when the, when the, the, the created is separated from the, the creator? What are the ramifications of it? What are the results of it? Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. Whoever has that one. Thank you. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts became darkened. So one of the first things we see when there is a separation from God, when God is taken out of the picture, when, it's, when God is removed from the conversation, we become our own gods. And when we become our own gods, 
we start making up our own definitions about life. Is that what we're seeing today? How can we make sense of what's going on in a society when they're taking something that's good and saying it's bad, and when they're taking something that's bad and saying it's good, and they're flip-flopping everything? That's how. When God is removed from the conversation, we ourselves become our own gods, and we start making up the definitions for life. We decide what's good. We decide what's bad. We decide what's male. We decide what's, what's female. We decide what's right. We decide what's wrong. And you know that that always ultimately ends up in the same place when mankind starts making it up its own definitions. The final definition of what a society believes is controlled by whoever is in power. It never fails, ever. Ultimately, somebody will be the ultimate authority, if it's not God, deciding how we will think, what we will say, how we will face life. So the first thing we see from sin and the separation is our thinking is becomes very corrupted, very darkened. Romans says that it, their hearts became darkened, blind. Secondly, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and Second thing we see, a society, a life without God has no hope. And eventually, it comes to the forefront of a person's life. When you have no hope because God is not part of your life, you start to try to fill your life with everything there is to try to make you feel satisfied. Materialism, riches, relationships, on and on and on the list goes. Only to find out if you do achieve something that you thought really brought you uh, 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 joy and hope, it's just a matter of time before it starts wearing off. And then you move on to the next thing. You move on to the next relationship. You move on to the next job. You move on to the next whatever. Because it will never fulfill the void that only can be filled with God's presence because that is the way we're designed. It'll never satisfy. You can continue to put whatever you can in your heart. You can pile it full of stuff. You can get that dream job. You can get that car you always wanted. But it'll grow old when you have it for a while. Because it won't give you ultimate fulfillment and hope that only comes in Christ. I don't care how you cut that piece of pie. The end result is always the same. Always. We are looking at a society. We're looking at a world that has no hope. 
there's nothing more devastation to a person or a society or individual or whatever when hope has died. When hope has died, it's a horrible, horrible thing in an individual life. That's many times when suicide will come in, drug abuse, and everything increases. Because now you just want to escape life. I used to have a t-shirt before I came to the Lord, and it was, uh, it was my most favorite t-shirt ever. Shows you how twisted my mind is when I tell you about it. It says, reality is for people that can't handle drugs. And that was definitely my belief. I didn't want to deal with reality. I didn't want to deal with life. I didn't like life. I liked where the drugs took me to another world, to another life. And I wanted to live in that one, and I did for 10 years. But the destruction and the, and the, and the, the fakeness of it all eventually came to a head. We're looking around and we're seeing people that feel like there's no hope. So they're drowning themselves in material things. They're drowning themselves and making, trying to make their own world on social media. They're trying to create a world that they think is going to bring them happiness. Then when the day comes that the world they created doesn't bring them they're completely bankrupt. When hope dies, it's a sad thing to see. But that's caused from separation from God. Ecclesiastes 2.17. Somebody read that real quick. Whoever got that one. Listen, I believe there's a lot of people right there. I believe there's a lot of people. The writer right there was, was given a clear view of life outside of God. I hated it. It's futile. It's, there's no meaning to it. I believe there's a whole lot of people right now in that position. Revelation 20, verse 14. Lastly, separation from God. We've talked mainly, these have been all about alive right now on this earth, what it causes and what happens. Now we're looking at eternity. Ultimately, a life without God is eternal separation from God. And the Bible has some horrific descriptions of what that means. I've heard so many people try to debate is the fire, fire is real or this and it? It don't matter whether they're real or not. Listen to the description. The message of being separated from God from a, for eternity is that they had to dig down and find some of the worst kind of description that they could d dream up of that God could give to mankind to get the point across. You don't want to be separated from me for eternity. 
It's a horrible place to be. And that's the final result of separation from God. If somebody dies in their sins and never accepts God and the free gift of salvation, then C.S. Lewis says, you get what you want. Now it's your will be done. You stand before God, your will be done. You wanted to be separated from me, you will be separated from me for eternity. So it's not a pretty picture that we see the state of mankind. And believe me, I know I, I, this is not a popular teaching today in this age. No, everybody wants to just put a gospel forth to fluff it up, don't hurt nobody's feelings, don't step on nobody's toes. But again, we have to go through the, and look at society through a biblical lens. Because the, the Bible, the word of God is the truth that we have to base our lives upon. If not, we're just dreaming up our own gospel, and again, we're becoming our own God. A life without God has nothing to anchor itself to, and when there is no anchor, you are at the mercy of the flow. When you don't have anything anchored, and I see people that think, man, I got a solid anchor, and I'm an atheist, I'm a solid, I don't believe in God, and my, my life is anchored. It's just a matter of time before somebody, something will knock the wind out of your sails. The loss of a job, or even worse, the loss of a family member. All of a sudden, it comes through. You know, I've done a lot of funerals. And you talk about the most vulnerable time of people is when you're doing a funeral. Because all of a sudden, reality of the temporalness and the fragileness of life has hit everybody right in the face. Because there, in that casket, is somebody you talked to, you loved, you called on the phone, you sat down and had dinner with, you went on walks together, you did all the things. Now you're looking at a corpse you will never pick up that phone again. You will never have dinner again with that individual. I remember when my dad passed away, I, I, I kept the, his, his, uh, his phone voice for a long time just so I could replay it and hear his voice. Reality hits. Boom. Life is short. Temporal. And today, tonight, one year, six years, things could change dramatically in your life. And if you are not anchored, if you don't have an anchor, if you haven't built your home on a firm foundation, that trial is going to expose your foundation. A worldview without God or with a false God eventually takes you right off a cliff. It'll eventually take you right off a cliff. It's just a matter of time. This is not a pretty picture. But what is the solution? Because there is a solution, and that's where I want to go. What is the solution? The gospel message. Christ. The gospel, the gospel message is the answer to man's dilemma. When God is in the picture, he gets our minds thinking right I remember when I came to the Lord at the age of 23 years old after 10 years of drug abuse I remember the day he came into my my life it's just like a fog lifted off my head 
and I started seeing things for what they really were. I was amazed. I used to walk around and get so stoned and say, what is life about? This makes no sense. I hate this world. It doesn't even make any sense. The day I got saved and God started working and taking that cloud off my mind, it started making sense. I started saying, I know why I'm here. Before, I didn't know why I was here. Before, I didn't even want to be here. But now I knew why I was here. When God is in the picture, he gets our minds right, thinking right, and we live according to how he defines life. Man, you know, when you start to live life how he defines life, you are starting to step into an abundant life. Because who better knows how to live life than the one that created life? Where there was no hope, we have hope. No matter what happens around us, we are people of hope. I'm doing a study right now. It's my own personal study, but I'm looking at the, the, the New Testament church. What did they have that makes them so distinct from the rest of the world? You could sum it up in one word, hope. Life becomes full of meaning. Every day I wake up, I know that this life, I have meaning. And it's, a, it's today, I will never be able to get back again. So it, I want it to count to its fullest. Full of meaning. When God is in your life and you start surrendering and just say, Lord, use me, it is an incredible adventure. I've got story after story after story of how God just did incredible things at work, at home, and relatives. I shared one when my uncle was dying, how God took me to that hospital, and before he, he took his last breath, I was able to share the gospel, and then I watched his eyes open up and look to the heavens, and i like, man, I wish I could see what he's seeing right now because I know he is seeing Jesus. And then I watched him take his last breath. Man. An adventure begins when you surrender to God. Then you start to see every other adventure without God as a counterfeit. Our eternal destination is put on a new path. We have been taken from darkness to light. And listen, we can't even begin to grasp what that means. If you think heaven is about sitting on a cloud and playing a harp, you're the farthest thing from heaven. Anything that is good that you can enjoy on this earth, magnify it a billion times more, and you might get, start to get a little glimpse of what heaven is about. That's a whole other study. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16. Uh, verse 
We have this hope, the gift, the sacrifice Christ made, the promises that come with that is an anchor to our soul. It anchors us. You ever been on a boat without an anchor? Don't. Me and uh, Grego, we bought us little one-man pontoon rafts that we go down the San Juan fly fishing and you have an anchor on it and I remember the first day we got out there and we took off the water was running pretty good never really been on these ones the first time we've been on the single one and I watched David take off man he's cruising like that and there's all kind of boats all over everybody's fly fishing and here we are right in the middle trying to figure out how to make it work and, the, and I seen the river catch Gregel. I call him Grego. You know him as the legend. And I seen the river catch him. And I seen him fighting, fighting, fighting. And I look and I like he's going to hit that guy. He's going to hit that boat. And no matter what he did, it was too late. Trying to let the anchor down or whatever, man. He did. He hit that boat. He just boing. Now, some guides are pretty friendly. <laughs> some guides are ones you do not want to run into their boat. Fortunately, God had mercy, and he ran into a friendly one. But if you go into a river and you have no anchor, you're at the mercy of that river. You're going to go wherever that river is going to take you. Listen, if you're walking in this society and you don't have God as your anchor, you're going to go wherever this society dictates you go. And you might not even know they're dictating it to you. You're in the flow. You're going with it. Pretty soon you're... You're, you're, you're totally wrapped up in their worldview, and you're believing exactly what they believe. And it creeps in. It creeps in. It doesn't walk in. You just don't, like one day you just wake up and, you know, you, everything has changed. It's a process. You hear this from there. You hear this from there. You hear this from there. And pretty soon, man, you're thinking the way they're saying. That's a life without an anchor. Listen, the only reason I have any kind of direction in my life is because of Christ and the Word of God. If I get out of that Word of God, I'll join that flow just like everybody else will. I'll go down that river wherever it takes me. This is what centers me. God is what brings me back. This is what shows me what life truly is, is about. <clears throat> so, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. We're almost done. 1 Peter 3.15. Thank you. Listen, if there's anything, I'm speaking to the church today, I'm speaking to the believer. If there's anything that you get out of this teaching this morning, that you could only one thing you take out, it's this. The greatest evangelistic tool today is a life being lived out for all to see, full of hope. Did you read the, 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 what Peter was saying here, kind of reading between the lines? 
when they see the hope. In other words, your life should be full of hope. And when people see that, it attracts. And when they get attracted, be ready to give an answer of why you have this hope. This right now, I think, is the absolute meat of this teaching. People don't have hope today. They're looking for the next great thing to give them hope. They're looking for the next administration to give hope. They're looking for the next check to come in to give hope. They're looking for the next relationship. They're looking for the next job. They're looking for the next this. They're, they're, they're grasping, they're looking, and, and they're getting disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. This is a perfect opportunity for the body of Christ to rise up and just live a life of hope and be an attraction, be a magnet for people to come. I remember when the towers went down and I went to work. Everybody was freaked out. But I remember walking in there. I've tried to live Christ at my job. And one of the things that I did feel good about is when I walked in, I had people running to me, asking me, what does this mean? What do you think? What's going to happen? They were looking to me for an answer. They were looking to me for some kind of, try to make some kind of sense out of what just happened when they seen them planes fly into them towers and then people jumping off instead of burning alive. And I'm glad they were looking to me because maybe I was doing something right sometimes. This is where I want to go and I want to wrap it up right here. The enemy is always at work trying, uh, trying to hinder the gospel from going forward. Matthew chapter 13, verse 19. Second Corinthians four verses three and four. Did I forget to pass that one out? Second Corinthians four, three and four. The God of this world has blinded for those that are perishing. Paul even experienced this to a certain degree. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. is always working to hinder the message of the gospel to go forth because it's the only answer for mankind it's the only answer to man's dilemma is Jesus Christ his sacrifice his dying upon the cross his shedding of the blood that makes it possible for the sins of man to be forgiven it's the only answer and the enemy will always attack it and work against it. Has from day one and will 
until the Lord comes. Now, let's bring it on home. What are some of the tactics the enemy has used to hinder the message today? There is no more important message than the gospel. It's greater than any scientific discovery that has happened that will ever happen. There's nothing that can come even close into the importance of the message of the gospel. It should be sung from the rooftops, from, from the body of Christ throughout this nation and throughout this world nonstop. Because of the stakes, it should be sung from every rooftop. What's hindering it? We bring it home. Let's ask ourselves that. Only you can answer that, answer that question to yourself. Are you satisfied in how your life is portraying the gospel to all those around you? I can't answer that for you. But I do see in myself, and when I look around sometimes at how the gospel is going forth, I wrote down a few, a few things here that I see. Number one, apathy. Some believers are just not motivated, man. They just don't care. I don't know if they don't understand what's at stake. I don't know if, you know, I don't know if their theology has taken them in a place where it makes it not that important. I don't know. Fear. Fear of sharing the gospel. Fear of living the gospel because you might be rejected. It's a huge one. Prayerlessness is a huge one. Listen, before you ever want to go out and share and be a light, pray. Because if you don't, if you don't pray, if you're not praying for those that you come in contact with, if you're not praying for God to equip you, you're trying to do this on your own, and you're gonna, we'll get in trouble when we do that. A lack of discernment, not recognizing the works of the enemy. Listen, this the next two are really huge right now in this in this time that we live in. We're looking at people as the enemy. We're not going beyond the person and looking what's behind it all. Paul says we're not dealing with flesh and blood. We're dealing with principalities and powers in high places, man. There, there is a war. Everybody's talking about there might be a civil war. I don't know, but what I do know, there's been a war. Since the fall of man, war has been raging. The war is for the souls of men. That's the war we have to concentrate on. Not recognizing the work of the enemy. And this is, this is a big one right here. And this is one I've battled with. Not seeing the value in human life. What do I mean by that? Oh, no, man, I'm pro-life. I see the value in life. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, how do you feel about your worst enemy? How do you feel about the one that has just absolutely goes against everything you believe in every way? We have a tendency, and I have a tendency, to start seeing them 
as only a threat and not as somebody that has been created in the image of God. If I see them only as an adversary, I won't bow my knee and pray for them. I'll wish the worst upon them. I'll destroy them any chance I get verbally. If somebody has done you wrong and they're just, you can't stand them, this is where the true test, how you see the value in a human life. That's the true test. Jesus says, love your enemies. I wonder why he said that. Man, that's the irritating part of the scripture, isn't it? But he said it. Went on to say, if you love, the Bible says, if you, if you love the one that loves you, big deal. Big deal. Everybody loves who loves them. But can you love the one that hates you? Now you're going to see, do you really value human life? Do you really see that person as somebody that could be redeemed? Are you praying that their eyes would be open? Or is the wound so big in your heart that it's closed all that? Have you become so angry and consumed with rage that you can't even pray knowing that this individual could face eternity without God? That's how we see value in life. It's easy to love a baby, but it's tough to love somebody that you see as the, as the enemy. I'm going to finish with this. I did this little, look this up, and I'm going to read it to you real quick. It says, countries with the fastest growing Christian population, where the gospel is taking hold and spreading. I think you're going to be amazed at some of these. Who do you think number one is? I'll just ask that one. Huh? Boom. Iran has the fastest growing Christian population in the world. It comes in at about 19.6%. Then comes Afghanistan, 16.7%. This one I found interesting. I don't know why. Greenland, 8.4%. Somalia. 8.1%. This is fascinating to me. North Korea. North Korea. 6%. Now, check this out. Drop on down to South Korea. What do you think it is? 0.7%. What? South Korea is free. You can worship freely. 0.7%. North Korea, 6% is growing. Israel, 5.6%. Libya, 5.2%. Egypt, 4.6%. Where the gospel is growing at a rate. Now let's go to the other side of the coin. Countries with the slowest. And the first few are not even the slowest. They're declining. Sweden, 0.6% in the negative. Japan, 0.4% in the negative. Finland, 
0.1% in the negative. South Korea already said the United Kingdom breaks the negative trend. Finally, with coming in at 0% growth. At least they're not negative, right? Then we start on the other side, South Korea, 0.7%. Where do you think the United States is? The growth rate of Christianity in the United States is 0.8%, barely above a half a percent. There's a trend there, man. It's, it seems like the countries that are persecuted seem to be growing faster than countries that are free. That's for another study. I'll end with this. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power for the salvation of man. Paul knew what was at stake. He knew wherever he went, he was going to be facing people that didn't know Christ, and he knew the consequences of what that meant to that individual. That's why you couldn't keep Paul's mouth shut. Because he was driven by love. He was driven by love. I'm going to say this, and then we're going to take communion. And I'm going to give a little bit of a plug here because, uh, and I, Alex don't know about this, so I won't go too much in depth on it, but we're, we're looking at, a, a, this is actually the brainchild of Nicole, I believe, in the Ministry of Mercy, about how we can reach our community. And uh, I seen, Nicole, what you sent out, and wow, it's impressive. It's really cool. So you're going to see this roll out, but it's just basically is going to how you reach this community. There's going to be incredible opportunity to be able to join in and whatever you feel comfortable with. Maybe some God's laying on your heart to get involved with what's going to be coming down the pipeline. It's exciting. It's, it's putting the rubber to the road as a body. And we want to reach this community for the gospel. And there's a lot of need out there. So that's going to be coming on down the road. And I just wanted to give a little plug for it right now.